Uh, as, as Courtney mentioned, Pastor Steve and his family came in contact with someone with COVID this week, middle of the week, and thankfully, he's, uh, everyone is okay, but just out of abundance of caution, he wanted to stay home today. They all did. And so, so for anyone visiting, sorry, you've got the second string, Steve, instead of the first string, but hey, we'll go with it. So uh, Steve and I talked, and uh, you know, what, what do you want me to speak about? We, we I first discussed maybe the Beatitudes, and he, he thought, why don't you do Romans? We, the, our men's Bible study has been going through Romans for 15 straight weeks, so it's pretty much burned into my brain right now. But, uh, and I apologize for the handful of the guys that's had to sit through 15 weeks, and you have to do another one. But, but anyway, we're going to look at... at um, we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 14, but before we jump into that, I want to, uh, and then the theme of that, uh, that uh, chapter in Romans is the disunity in the church, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, but um, before we jump right into to chapter 14, I think it's always important to have a little background information, so anytime I read a uh, study a, a book in the Bible, I want to dig down and find out, okay, who wrote it? When did they write it? Uh, what was the circumstances that they were doing? And who was the audience? You know, what, what did they want, what did the Holy Spirit want us to get out of this? And so that's what I want to do for a few minutes, hopefully a few. I, I must warn you, I, I haven't timed this, and so I, I stationed Karen in the front, and I told her, okay, after about 30 minutes, started doing like this. <laughs> So if it seems like I, I'm ending abruptly, I'm ending abruptly, okay? So Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in about AD 57. And he was in Corinth at that time. And he was finishing up his third missionary journey. And it's the, the, his, that journey started well, but it, it, he started having issues when he was in Galatia and Ephesians, everything was going well, but after that, things uh, didn't go so well. He, he did go to Philippi after that, and he had the first convert, first European convert, and it was a lady named Lydia. And a couple a month or so ago, Karen and I got to go to uh, Greece, and we actually went to Philippi. And if it hadn't been so cold, we could have actually been rebaptized in the very spot where Lydia was baptized, allegedly, so... But anyway, so from Philippi, Paul went to Thessalonica, and things didn't go well for him there. He, he wanted to stay there for a period of time, but he didn't have the chance. He was basically uh, run out of town by the Jews there in, in probably around three weeks. So he went from there to Berea, and the Jews followed him there. Berea is west of Thessalonica, about 50 or 75 miles. And so anyway, they run him from there. So Paul went down to Athens, and uh, his famous uh, uh, sermon on Mars Hill, which is a, uh, as Karen and I found out, it's, it's not a grassy little knoll, it's like a granite rock that, in, and when the wind's blowing, you can hardly stand upon it, but, but it, it, you, from there you can look up and see the Greek Acropolis and all these, these uh, statues and and all these altars and everything that they built for the, all the many, many gods that they had. But anyway, it didn't go well for him in Athens either. They, were, they thought themselves too learned to actually uh, 
believe in Jesus, you know, believing in a Jewish carpenter that claimed to be the son of God and lived in poverty just didn't really, it didn't ring their bell. And so then he went on to Corinth and he was actually having a good ministry there when he wrote to the Romans. And it was interesting, uh, most of the letters that Paul writes is to someone he knows or a church he started. But this wasn't the case in uh, Romans. He had never been there. None of the rest of the apostles had ever been there. And so, um, in fact, historians think that probably the, the pillars of the church there were, were uh, Jews that had come from Rome uh, during Pentecost and heard the sermon that we read in, in Acts chapter 2 that Peter delivered. So anyway, just like all the churches back in those days, uh, it was a mixture of, of uh, Gentiles and Jews. And it could have been up to 50%, but we don't know. And, and really, every congregation that Paul had was essentially like that. So he knew a lot about what was going on, even though he, he wasn't there. And some of his best friends, like uh, Aquila and Priscilla, were there. And so I'm sure he got, he got feedback from them as well. Uh, Paul had always intended to go back to Rome and visit the churches, and he actually did, but unfortunately when he went back, he was a prisoner, and he was either in home or house arrest, or he was in a dungeon. And anyway, I have there listed Romans 5, 1, 1 and 2. This is kind of a key text for Romans. And the big thing Paul really talked to the Romans about was that we are saved by grace through our faith, which was completely different as it was, that was very uh, different from what they had been accustomed to coming out of the, the Jewish background and all the laws and regulations and stuff. Uh, one thing that I want to do, uh, next slide please, I want to go, um, one thing that you'll notice when you read Romans, that there's a lot of doctrine in there. And it really was good that, that Paul hadn't visited there because then he gave us all this doctrine and uh, I'm, this is my interpretation or guess of, that, guess of what happened. But normally when, when the apostle uh, would go and start a church, he would go through these things orally to the, to the people. Then he would go away and write letters of further guidance and direction and things like that. So that's what makes this, um, this book so interesting to read. But, but it's also very tough and it's, it can be dry at times too. Um, so I highlighted, there's all kinds of doctrine here. I highlighted just a few because I can actually pronounce them now and I thought you'd be impressed if, like, has anyone ever heard of propitiation before? Okay, so we got a few. How about justification? A few more. How about sanctification? Yeah, okay. So th these, were, these were important teachings that Paul was giving to, to them. Propitiation, that Jesus died for their sins. That was a big, he was our, our substitute. And that was a big deal. And, and then in justification, he explained the process where God erases our sins and shortcomings and, and he credits Jesus' righteousness to them. And that was, that was a big deal too especially to the, to the Jews there because they had, they had spent centuries trying to, to become righteous by doing rules and regulations and stuff like that. And notice there that justification is an act. Okay, it's not a process or something. When you're justified, you're justified. And it's not just the sins that you committed 
in the past, but it's the sins in the present and the future. So, so that's very important. And when we think, and here's, a, here's an example of why it's important. How many of you guys have ever felt, man, I don't, I don't feel righteous. I don't, you know, I don't feel good. And so we, I think we've all done that, right? And sometimes it, it can really haunt us, our past, and even our present. You think, gosh, I just can't do anything right, you know. I, I know how I'm supposed to live, but I, I can't do it. And so that's why it's important to know that, you know, when, when we fail or come short, fall short, it's okay because all those sins have been paid for, even the ones committed next year, next five years, or whenever to the end of your life. So it was important for the Romans to hear that. It's important for us. And then finally, like sanctification, that's the process where you become more and more like Jesus. I think that is as clear and concise as you could ever say it. Um, so a couple others, uh, freedom of Christ. This, this was a big deal. Uh, excuse me just a moment. I, I don't have COVID. I don't have the cold. I don't have a flu, but I do have some nasal congestion, and I might have to stop once in a while. <laughs> Sorry about that. So this freedom of Christ, this was another big doctrine. And, and Paul had to, he told him about it. Then he had to go back and correct it. He, you know, he told him about we're free in Christ. And the big one is we're not in, in any more condemnation for our sin. And so then some bright guy said, hey, that, that means we can just sin and sin and keep sinning. And, and it's more, more we sin, the more grace we get. And it's all a good thing. And then Paul corrected him and said, no, no, that's... Just because Jesus paid for your sin, it's not a very thankful or righteous way to live if you just want to keep sinning and, and so the grace will abound even more. And then the last two, and we spent probably a week or so on this when we were doing our study, was election and predestination. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't cover every bit of this in the next three years of standing up here talking to you. And there's a lot of differing opinions on that. And I think you would be shocked if you started peeling back some of our Protestant de denominations uh, that, that, are, that are, uh, adhere to the Calvin's, Calvinistic five points. And one of them being that, that uh, uh, the election or, or God's elect was chosen before the, the, uh, the world was even created. So that would mean some people are destined for heaven and some people are not. And so, uh, to me, I think it, it makes more sense to say that God's plan of salvation was already uh, outlined all the way through before he ever created the universe. So it wasn't like a last-ditch thing he did. Okay, I tried the Jews and the nation of Israel, and that failed. And so now I'm, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to say, Jesus, no, it was the plan from the beginning. And anyone who uh, receives Jesus as the Lord and Savior is the elect. And so that was also important for, for him to tell them and us as well. And finally, the predestination part, it has nothing to do with what God decided in his sovereignty uh, before the, the earth was created. It just, it just indicates that it was pre-time. Uh, before, before God created the universe and everything, you know, there was no time and there was no space. God doesn't need all that. 
It's interesting, if you read in Genesis, um, when God was, was, he was already laying out days, uh, the first two days before there's ever a a sun and the moon, he established a day and time, and then the universe operated around that, which is also very interesting. Anyway, uh, so this doctrine thing, we kind of are going off on a tangent but it's important for us to, to know doctrine. It's, it's really critical for us. And a couple of things, it's, it's the fundamental set of principles we live on. It's a guide of action. And I spent a fair amount of time uh, in the military. And so military doctrine, I know the others have here, military doctrine is critical. You can't perform your duty. It, it's, it's the foundation. It's the backbone for everything. And that's why that, that Romans is so important. The bottom line to, to knowing Christian doctrine, it, it's how we live. It, it's, it's how we know how to function with each other and in the world and with God. So I, I do have a disclaimer before we dive into chapter 14. Uh, we're talking about a gray, gray areas here. There's there some activities we know that it's, God has told us not to do. It's the shall nots. Don't kill people. Don't hate people, don't steal from people, don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery. We know all those things. And then there are some activities that we know we should do, and the Bible tells us to, to love God, love others, uh, know God's Word, study it, and put it on our heart uh, to, to find a local assembly and, and come here and serve. And so those are all things that we should do, and, and really those are non-negotiable we make them negotiable a lot, but really they're not. If, if the Bible is clear that you shouldn't do an activity, then we shouldn't do the activity. Um, but Paul is talking about gray areas that are not defined in the Bible, and it, it, and it doesn't say whether you should do it or not. And so Paul gives us advice in chapter 14 about how to deal with that, because let's face it, we all have... We're all different, right? We have different opinions about how the church looks and the colors on the wall and the floor and pews and all that stuff. We're all different. And so uh, sometimes, though, that can get very divisive, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. Uh, Unfortunately, next slide, please. Uh, This unity wasn't, wasn't just with the Roman church. It's been that way for, for God's people forever. When there, when there was the nation of Israel, uh, David, David gathered them all back together, and he actually captured Jerusalem, which was a Jebusite town, and made that the capital because he knew that if he made a city and either one of them a capital, then they think, well, you're, you're siding with them. And so, so that's how Jerusalem became the, uh, the capital and anyway, it was about 80 years where the nation was together. Then after that, after Solomon, it just went downhill, and it was, it was, it was uh, two nations, uh, Israel and Judah, and it was just a mess after that. So, and we see the same thing in the New Testament. Uh, when we look at Paul's letters, he was continually talking about disunity. <coughs> Excuse me. We can see that 
in, uh, in Corinthians where the human leaders, and I, we'll have a verse in just a minute you can look at, but they were arguing, they, would, uh, they were saying, well, I was, I was saved and baptized by the Apostle Paul. And somebody said, well, I was saved and baptized by Peter. So that means I'm a little bit more righteous than you or, or no, uh, no uh, Apollos is who baptized me. And, and Paul was criticizing them for judging and looking down on each other because of that. And also they were bringing suit against each other, and, and he declared that to, to be wrong. And, and he said that if God is going to put up, someday uh, we're going to be in charge of his kingdom. And so it would be terrible if we can't get along with our brothers and can't settle things that we have with them without suing each other and going to court, going to a, to a pagan court to settle things between uh, two Christian men or wh- whoever. And this is, what he, this is what he says there. They were judging each other. They were placing themselves over each other. And pride was really entering in. And that's what happens when we start looking down on someone else. We're elevating ourselves, right? Okay. Um, and we see the, uh, the disunity continuing in... Uh, next slide, please. In Galatians. In fact, t- Paul uses a really interesting word. He says... Don't devour yourself. And that may be where, you know, you've probably heard where we say, don't eat your young. I've heard that at work a lot. You know, don't torture and, and make it harder on new people in your organization or something. Well, that's, that's what Paul was telling them there. Don't devour your own. Then he, we have instances in both Ephesians and Colossians where he was warning them to be unified. Um, Finally, in Philippi, there were two women splitting the church, and he he was he wrote in his letter to the Philippians for them to you know to chill out and calm down and live in harmony. So, so Paul wasn't he wasn't shocked that there was disunity in Rome. He expected that because hey, that's a, that's a way how humans behave, right? So, why is unity so important? Next slide. Uh, just before Jesus was arrested, after, after the meal, after communion, after washing the feet, then Jesus prayed, and he prayed for his disciples. And it was interesting, John 17, he actually prayed for us, not by name, but he prayed for us. And this is what he said. Uh, he's praying for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you. And what he was saying is, when the apostles go out and the gospel spread, he, wants, he was asking for God to bless them and bless all of us that hear this. But when you get down, it, the key thing is here, he wanted us to be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. So Jesus knew if his church was fighting with each other, you know, what a poor witness that would be. And that should motivate all of us to not be... Um, to not be divisive and not get along and not show love to each other. So what really Jesus wanted was a church with a whole lot of satellite campuses. That, that would be the... But one church, and they would believe what the Bible says, they would, they would follow that direction, and that, and that, but there would be many churches in the world, and there would be many churches for thousands of years. But, uh, and Courtney alluded to this this morning, what we have now is thousands of churches all believe slightly different things. And 
it's probably very confusing to, a, to someone that doesn't know God. I mean, uh, how come there's all these uh, Protestant denominations and why is there always a little tension between the Catholics and the Protestants? You know, and, and that's what happens when we start dividing. And, that's, and Jesus knew that and he was praying for us not to do that. Um, okay, so they had two specific issues in Rome. But I want us to first look at, okay, what was the underlying thing that caused them to have this, these issues? And, the, and the, the biggest thing was the background of the believers and the varying degree of Christian maturity. And that's, that, that's what happens to almost in any church in any divisive actions. So you have to remember the Jews came from this really strict uh, background of a lot of laws and regulations and things like that. Okay, the, pagan, the, the Gentile Christians didn't come from that. You know, they didn't have all that background. And so naturally, there, it was not going to be a great fit at first. And then you throw on top of that, the Jews thought, hey, we're, we're sons and daughters of Abraham, so we've got this special linkage to God. And, and the Gentiles didn't have that. And they actually looked down on the Gentiles, and they thought, wow, you know, for 1,500-plus years, they considered them half-breeds and, and almost like animals. They didn't embrace them at all. They didn't welcome them. I mean, if you wanted to be a Jew, you could convert to Judaism, but you could never be a, uh, a, a son or a daughter of Abraham. You, ne- you didn't have that blood linkage, so there was still a wall there, even if you decided to, to, be, to, to be Jewish. And, um, and then the, on top of that, the Jews had this problem with... Uh, they obviously thought more highly of themselves than even God did. They, they thought that they were walking the way that they were supposed to walk, and it was completely opposite of that. And we see in uh, Jesus' terminology for them there, he called them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs that look really great on the outside, but inside they're horrible you know, their heart is not where it should be. And, and so, so they were, the church was having to deal with that. Plus, next slide. Okay, the Gentile had some issues too. They said, why are you looking down on us? You're the one that, that God ended the covenant with you because you guys were so messed up. You, you, you were so messed up, you even crucified you, uh, you didn't embrace your Messiah and you even crucified him. So they, that were, they were hanging that on them too. Hey, you killed Jesus, you know. We may have been pagans and stuff, but, but you guys really messed up. So let's go to the two issues that, that, were, that Paul was, deals with specifically in, in Romans uh, chapter 14. And if you have your phone or your Bible... Let's turn there, and I'm going to read the first couple of verses. I'll give you a moment to, to get there. So this is what Paul says. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on him. Don't accept him and then you know, make fun of him and look down on him and stuff like that, but accept him. One person has faith that he may eat all things, 
But he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not regarded with contempt. The one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able, uh, he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats it does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Okay, so what is Paul saying there? He's saying some members of the church won't eat meat. Well, you have to remember back in those days, it was a pagan world. Corinth, Rome, Ephesus, everywhere were were full of pagans. And so, and they had thousands of gods, the Greeks and the Romans. I have no idea how many. I I think Karen and I saw uh, statues and temples and stuff for just the God of wind and rain and love. and, And it was amazing. And so... Any meat you went to the, to the market and bought, it was probably sacrificed to some god. Well, some of the folks that, that was in the church felt like, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel right eating that. I don't feel right in eating meat that somebody sacrificed to an idol. Somehow they felt that, that linkage between the pagan and them. And so they didn't want to eat it. Well, some of the uh, that Paul refers as more mature, understands that that has nothing to do with the meat. You can eat the meat if you want to. Uh, the, the same is true. Remember, the, uh, the Jews had all kinds of holidays they observed. Uh, the Passover, Pentecost, all the festivals and feasts and things like that. Well, that didn't really link up at all with, with, with the Gentile world. They, they, the Passover meant really nothing to them. And so, but for some people in the church, that was a big deal, you know. I mean, Passover was something God did for our people, and we should always remember that. Uh, the problem wasn't that, the problem wasn't that they were having issue uh, that the meat, eating the meat or not eating the meat, or, or uh, having the festival, uh, having, you know, the holy days or not. That wasn't the issue. What, what was bothering Paul and what was the real problem, we'll see in the next slide, it wasn't the meal, meat of the holy days, it was how they were behaving. Those who ate meat was criticizing the others, you're of such little faith, how, how can you link this, this, this meat that was sacrificed? How, how, how does that impact my relationship with God? How is that wrong? And then the flip side, I think every day, every day is the same. We, we should live every day for the Lord. And so, you know, even when you think about it, the, the Jews before, before becoming Christians, all, the Sabbath was Saturday. That's when, when you went to the temple. That's when you worship God. Well, guess what? Now they're doing it on the first day of the week. So, there was, so you can see how there's a lot of issues there from the backgrounds of these folks. The big problem is the last bullet. It's with in the gray areas, it's okay to have convictions. Maybe you feel like that a type of music is better than others, or or maybe behavior in the church might 
in some ways might be better in their areas than others. That's okay. If you're convicted of that, you're convicted. And you, and you should respond accordingly on that. But you can't expect everybody else to have those same convictions because then you're forcing a conviction that you have on somebody else. And guess what happens? Then you look down on them and this vicious cycle of treating each other poorly occurs again and again. Um, this, this is an, uh, my personal example, and I told the guys about that. When, like probably a lot of you, I had, there was a time in my life that I drifted away from God, and I was consuming what I thought was too much alcohol. And so, so then when I really got squared away and started living for God, uh, I didn't want to keep drinking like that. And so, and and. Thankfully, I, I really don't have any desire to do it. It's not like, you know, every day. I'm not like an alcoholic. Every day I wake up and think, gosh, I just, if it could just have one drink. I just, just don't really want to do it. And, and it's not even a, a temptation or anything. Well, the, the problem is, and fortunately I only thought it mostly, but sometimes I, I, I said things about it. But I would critique other people. And I'd see somebody in their, their congregation I was in at that time drinking, and then I would judge on them. Well, that's not, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, that's not right, right? The Bible's pretty clear on drinking and, and what, what God expects from us, but I was thinking something different. So you see what I'm talking about? That was my conviction. I, I rarely to, ever, to never drink, but that's, if somebody does drink, that's okay, you know, and, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't, make that an issue of my fellowship with somebody by, by having a problem with that. And that's, that's what we were doing. That's what they were doing here. And that's what happens when we have issues in the congregation that causes division. So. Okay, so I, I suspect if I asked everybody in this room what kind of diet you had and stuff, you'll find everything, right? You'll have folks that just eat meat. You'll have folks that never eat meat and, and folks that eat steak when somebody serves it to them or gives it to them But in all, all different things. But um, we, we can have other divisions now, right? And I just, uh, as the group of, of guys, we sit down and start listing some things that actually cause division. This is no kidding, actually cause divisions and cause churches to break up. Um, and when you look at a lot of these, it was, just, it was just tradition. It wasn't scripture. It wasn't, you know, uh, somebody was openly having uh, an adulterous relationship and so a whole group of people went with them and kept doing that. It wasn't anything that, that was shall not. It was things of gray areas, such as versions of the Bible. I'm maybe the oldest person. Well, no, sorry, Sonny, you're a bit older than me. <laughs> but I can remember when that was a litmus test when you hired a new pastor. Do you preach and study for the, from the King James Bible? You know, that was, that was God's word, and everything else was paraphrased version. Now, that's, that whole groups of people felt that. Not like one or two, but lots of people. Uh, behavior and dress in church. Dress your best, no long hair, no jeans, uh, no things like that. I mean, that was very, very popular. And, and you didn't do that. When I was, 
When I was a little guy in the sanctuary, we considered that the holy of holies. You didn't run in the sanctuary. You didn't eat in the sanctuary. You didn't chew gum in the sanctuary. You didn't do anything in the sanctuary except sit by my father with his arm around me make sure I didn't squirm too much. And that, that was the common belief in every church I went to. And if you didn't believe that way, guess what? You know, I, I went to a church for a while, and they, had, they first started out in this small little um, chapel, and that was the first church. And so when I, while, when, I, when I was there, they were using that for the children's church. And so we had a bunch of first through, or kindergarten through fifth graders sitting on these rock-hard pews, squirming, and half of them, their feet couldn't touch the floor. And I remember the, the children's minister asked me, because I was a deacon at the time on the board, and, the, and she asked me, hey, can you go and ask the, the elders and deacons, the board, if, if we can remove these uh, pews and put chairs in? And she explained, you know, so she could circle the chairs, and they, they, they could get smaller size chairs for some of the kids, so everybody would have a comfortable place to sit. Well, guess what? When I went... And, and brought that before the board, it was like, what, you know? And one elder in particular said, over my dead body, will you remove the pews? And I said, well, can we put them somewhere else? Because the kids, or, or find a place for the kids besides these rock art. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, they, they, he was letting pews dominate a ministry there at the church. And I know it sounds crazy, but it was true. Uh, instruments, a type of music and instruments you use to make music. Well, our church is part of the independent Christian churches, and there was a, a whole group of, of those churches split off. Uh, I'm trying to think. Max Locato's minister, one of the split off, they're called Disciples of Christ. And the big difference is all their music is a cappella. There is no instrument in the church, no piano, no... Uh, no anything, no flutes, no guitars, uh, what's a little thing, recorders of the kids, no recorders, no anything. If it makes music other than your voice, it's not in there. And so that was such a big deal that they, they split apart. I mean, I'm talking about dozens and dozens of churches split from, from their parent uh, organization. So pews versus chairs, that actually, uh, was, we had a negative impact here when we went to have the pews. And it was, it, was, it was kind of crazy because, uh, and, and I remember when we were having the spring break camp before we had uh, COVID came along and, and changed the world, we took all the chairs out and put the bounce house and stuff in. So the kids, the, their last day would have all these activities. And fortunately by then, I never heard anybody come and say anything about that. But honestly, I was expecting that. I was expecting somebody to come and say, why, did, why are the kids playing games in the sanctuary? Um, worship service times and days. Uh, there's Protestant churches that meet on Saturday. They don't meet on Sunday. There's, um, and, and they meet at 11, you know, it's standards 11 o'clock. And I remember being in churches and they said, we're going to have a Saturday night service or uh, have a 9 o'clock service. And there was pushback to that because, hey, God wants us to meet here at 11 o'clock for services. And then we get out just before 12 and go and, and have lunch. And so we, we laugh about that. But when we allow our convictions or our feelings or our thoughts to cause divisiveness in the church, it's not right. 
So I have a couple questions to ponder. Can Christians dishonor God to unbelievers with their behavior? This, this divisiveness in church, and, and you even see groups of people split off. How, how does the world view that? This, I want you to think about that. How about this? Can we get caught up in gray areas that end up causing division so severe that we, we have church members go and start another church? And so, yeah, the, the answer is yes. We, the, these gray areas, these convictions can really have a huge effect on a congregation. So another question to ponder is, and hopefully we'll all come, come to agreement on this, what is more important to God? The chairs we sit in, the songs we sing, the color of paint on the wall, is it carpeted or not, any of those things, or that we love each, him and, and each other and demonstrate that love every day. Now, what, what, what does your heart tell you we should do? Love God, love others. And that's what Jesus told us to do. The Pharisees are trying to trick him, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? And notice, they only asked him, what is the greatest commandment? But he linked both of these together. The greatest and first is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then he said, likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. So, um, and then he goes on to say, every command that God has ever given us is wrapped up in those two commands. If we can do that, we've checked the block. Okay, and so the basic principle of Christian life is love others. Okay. So in chapter 14, Paul instructs us to do three things to, to avoid these, these differences and this divisiveness and, and causing our, our churches to not function. And, and we all know this, right? If you've got a group of people and they're arguing about things and anything, work or, or PTAs or anything, they're not very functional, right? They're not very efficient and effective because you're arguing all the time. So he basically says, stop judging each other, welcome and accept one another, and edify one another. So I'm sure most of you remember this. What did Jesus say about judging others? And this passage can be very scary, especially like in verse 2. The way you judge, what? You will be judged. Does that frighten you sometimes? I know, you know, you can be very judgmental. And I know that. I, I, I can be that way easily. And then he goes on to say, why are you focusing on, why am I looking at Mike Drew and looking at his life and examining every part of it and, and saying something about his life that he doesn't eat pork or whatever when I've got a plank in my eye, you know. And Jesus is great about using these parables as, you know, a speck versus you know, a two-by-four. But what he's trying to say here is, and, and, and Paul reiterates this, we shouldn't judge anybody. Who has the right to judge? God only, right? And so um, when we judge others, it can become a stumbling block. And, it, you know, it's like a millstone. Remember that it, it's like having a millstone on and somebody throws you into uh, the sea. What happens? You go down quickly and, and die. So judging is something we should not do. 
Okay, so how about this accepting others and edifying them? Okay, the way I look at this, a church, the, the big church is one, one family, right? We're all, we're all sons and daughters of God in the big church. And so, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure in your family, not every brother is alike, right? Not every sister is alike. We all are different. But we should never let those differences divide us to the point we, we can't treat them with love and respect, right? We, we, we shouldn't do that. How about, how do we edify each other? Okay, that, that's kind of an interesting word. Does anybody use edification or edify in their... Is that part of your vocabulary? No, it's not. But we would things like encourage, uplift, walk beside, uh, uh, help, uh, nurture. You know, things like that. You know, you're helping. You're being a brother stuff to them. And, and Paul's telling us to do this. And, you know, it's hard to do this. It's, it's hard to, to do that for people because of our, our nature. Even though we're saved, we're justified, we still have this nature that we have to carry to the grave, Right? So it's not easy for us to, to do these things. It's, it's really not. And it's only through the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and him working inside us that we even have a hope of doing this. Um, okay. And one other thing, and, and I think one of the, I, I can't take credit for this. One of the guys we were talking in our class, we said, how can we love the world you know, it's such a strain to love each other because the world has completely different values and viewpoints and everything. How do we have a hope of loving them if we can't get along with each other in our local churches and we argue over things that, and it becomes a giant deal? And we can't, right? We can't do that. So my conclusion is, as Christians, we have to have priorities, we can't major in the minors. I'm sure you've heard about that many times. Don't let the gray areas dominate the eternal values that God wants. God wants us to be righteous and peaceful, peacemakers, full of joy. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be uh, a police of, of the music or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? That's, we're, we're, we're truly putting little things above the very big things of God. So we must yield to the Holy Spirit, keep the eternal things first in our life, and this is not something Jesus hopes we can do. You know, if, if you guys can somehow, if you can just tolerate each other, it'll be okay. No, that's not it at all. He expects us to love each other. He expects us to be patient. He expects us to be kind and helpful. Because that's how he is to us, right? And that's what he wants from us in return. The love he gives us should reflect off of us to other people. All right, let's, let me uh, lead us in prayer and we'll get into our, our rest of our song service. Lord, we just thank you for today and we just thank you that uh, your word and, and how it, it can pierce us and convict us and Lord, it's, uh, it's, sometimes it's overwhelming because your expectations for us is, frankly, in many, in many cases, more than we can, more we can do, Lord. But 
we understand that your Holy Spirit lives inside us. We, we know that we are not doing this alone. Lord, I just pray that everybody in this room can be peacemakers. And, and if there's somebody else in the congregation that has, has a differing conviction, Lord, that we, we can work that out and we can talk to each other without letting us divide us. Lord, again, we just thank you for today. We thank you for being, being here with us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.